Welcome to another episode of Quantum Coffee, where we discuss the deeper, unanswerable questions of the universe. I'm your host, Joe Holly. Grab some coffee, open your mind, and enjoy the show. There's this um, natural disconnect that comes between the physical and the spiritual. Because the, the physical is tied to time and it's temporal. It's, uh, it has a beginning and, the end, and an end. But the spiritual is eternal. And it has existed for eternity before and continues for eternity after. And so it feels, because we're in this uh, temporal state, it feels like this is what is real. But in a certain sense, you could say that the spiritual is even more real because it continues on. It's eternal. And this is just for a time. That was Jay Hewitt, an amazing man with an incredible story. He was actually my youth pastor growing up and was very influential in my life as a young adult. His story is one filled with hardship, adversity, and challenge. But it's also one that's filled with hope, courage, and faith and a deep love for his family, especially his five-year-old daughter, and his unwavering connection to God and the plan he has for his life. Jay is an evangelical Christian youth pastor with a heart of gold and a desire to serve. He is an inspiration to many in the way he has shown up through the most difficult of circumstances to prove that no matter how hard life might get, if we trust and have faith in our connection to something greater than ourselves, we can continue to show up and inspire possibility in those around us. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Jay Hewitt, what's up, man? Hey, Joe. It's good to see you, bro. You too, man. It's it's really wild, the journey that life uh, takes us on. Um, before, I'm, oh, what, we saw each other like six months ago. Before that, it was years, probably 10 years, huh? Yeah, we went from seeing each other on a weekly basis to not seeing each other at all. But I, I uh, kept up with you a little bit just on social media. And then it was so good to reconnect a couple months ago and, and now to get to have this conversation. It's awesome. It's crazy to see where life takes us, right? Uh, it totally is. And um, for those of you that don't know, Jay Hewitt was my youth pastor at my church growing up as a kid. Um, we've got to know each other really well. And uh, life does take us on a crazy journey. We reconnected um, six months ago. One of my best friends from from uh, high school, Jusong Kwan, who actually was on this podcast. He's like the third or fourth episode. Um, is doing a documentary on Jay here. And um, if you want to do kind of just explain why and you know where you're at in life and the and kind of the the journey that life has taken you um, up to this point. Yeah. Uh, so the reason why Jusung is uh, featuring me in a documentary is because I recently was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And of course, you can imagine that shakes you to your very core, makes you really have to press into your faith and, and even question, do I really believe this? Um, but beyond that, the, the, do- the documentary really is about me trying to teach my daughter how to be resilient in life. Because I'm facing this moment in life where I just got knocked down hard. 
and I've got to find a way to get back up and keep living life. I want to live life to the fullest, but it's it's pretty difficult to do that when you've got this uh, prognosis hanging over your head of a terminal cancer. Um, so it's it's really difficult to get up and find hope and to press on. So I want to use this time to teach my daughter how to do the same because I know in her life, she's going to face things that are going to knock her down. And she's going to have to find a way to find hope and get back up and keep pressing on towards her dreams. And so uh, to help teach her this, one of the things that I'm doing is I am competing in uh, Ironman coming up here in October. So I am letting her see me get knocked down. I've gone through two brain surgeries, 30 treatments of radiation, six cycles of chemotherapy. And although I just want to stay in bed all day, every morning I let her watch me get up, get out, go train. And then uh, she'll be able to watch me, God willing, and if my body's able to, it's a grand experiment. She's going to be able to watch me cross the finish line at Ironman after racing 140 miles in under 17 hours, something that feels very impossible, even when you're at your strongest. But I'm attempting to do this at my weakest. And I'm hoping that she'll see in me that even though life knocked me down, I found a way to find hope, get up, press on. And I want to be able to cross the finish line and and just tell her, hey, honey, you can do things like this. You can do hard things. Even when life knocks you down, get back up, press on towards your dreams. Your mom and I will be behind you, supporting you every step of the way, but you got to keep going. So uh, as I'm aspiring to that, uh, Jusung is following me with a camera crew, and which is great because my daughter is only five years old. And so mm-hmm. this allows us to... Um, document something for her that she can look back on when she's 18 years old. And, you know, maybe she doesn't get into the college that she wanted to get into. Or when she's 20 and somebody breaks her heart or she's 25 and something goes wrong with her career, whatever it may be, all these different things that come up in life. I want her to have something to reflect back on and and learn insights that she's not able to grasp as a five-year-old right now. And then that was the purpose behind it, but it's rolled into just giving me a lot of purpose in life of knowing not only am I able to inspire my daughter, but as many other people have started to follow my story, uh, it's starting to inspire a lot of people. And with this documentary, hopefully it'll reach uh, quite a few people. And I know that my life will be able to influence and inspire others. That gives me great purpose and great hope. Yeah, that's, Thanks for sharing that, man. That's really inspiring to me. And I know when I heard it, it's it's pretty amazing that you are, you know, putting yourself through such pain and agony to to push through to inspire others. And it really inspires me. Where did this where did this idea come from? What what kind of sparked it? Um, was it something that happened right away or did it kind of slowly take shape? Yeah, it's one of those things. I think a lot of people kind of scratch their head and go, like, well, <laughs> if you're going through this much pain just with brain cancer, why would you heap on more agony on top of that? Um, But where it came from is when my daughter was born, I had the idea that I wanted to do Ironman when she was about 10 years old. And the reason why is because when I was 10 years old, 
I was at home and I was watching Wide World of Sports and Ironman Kona, the world championships came on TV. I'd never heard of Ironman before. And as I watched these athletes swim two and a half miles and then bike 112 and then run a marathon after that, I thought, these guys are superhuman. And Mm. the thought never crossed my mind that I could do it. And I think that's because of the environment that I was raised in. I just wasn't raised in an environment that was supportive, that was stable, that, uh, that I was encouraged to dream and go after my dreams. And so the thought never crossed my mind of, can I do it? Do I want to do it? Um, and so for whatever reason, that memory was uh, heavy on my heart when I had my daughter and I just thought, I want to raise her in a different environment. I want to raise her in an environment where she's able to see hard things and think, I can, I can do hard things. And I want her to even ask the question, do I want to do this? And if she wants to, I want her to go after her dreams. And so I thought, well, when she's 10, the age I was, when I saw Iron Man, I want, to, I want her to see me become an Iron Man. And I want to be able to mm. verbalize to her that, uh, that she can do it. If I can do it, she can do it whatever her dreams may be. But then uh, right after I got the diagnosis of brain cancer, actually the day that I got the diagnosis, I was praying and I was just asking God, what's worthwhile with my time left here? And I knew for, for certain, thinking about my daughter, I needed to uh, teach her what love was. And I knew that I could do that by loving her mom well. And if she could watch me love her mom well, then she would know uh, how she was to treat other people and how other people were to treat her. And so that was a no-brainer. But then I thought, I want to I teach her to be a resilient person. Um, because if she's going to have to go through losing a father at a young age, uh, that's going to take some resiliency. But life overall, no matter what, even if some miracle happens and I live a long life, uh, there's still going to be hard things. And I think it's every dad's duty to teach their kids how to be resilient. So as I was just praying through, how do I teach her resiliency? All of a sudden those dots connected of, you know what, just when she was born and I wanted to do Ironman, uh, now's the time to do it because I might not be here when she's 10. um, So I can't wait. And I have an extra opportunity of not just showing her, yeah, you can go after big dreams, but now I can show her even in your weakest state, even when you're weak, you can find strength. Uh, and I want her to see that through me and, and really get a, a sense deep in her gut that, that it's possible. Oh, man, that's so beautiful. I'm so proud of you for, for stepping up in that way. Um, so this podcast is about the unanswerable questions of the universe and kind of why we're here. And I think you have a pretty interesting and unique perspective being a youth pastor, being very connected to your faith and involved in the church and um, the difficulties and challenges that you're facing now with you know the terminal illness and the challenge that you're putting on yourself. Um, so I'd like to ask three questions on this podcast to all my guests. And the first one is, what is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of this existence? Like, why are we here if to just be born, have a journey and experience and then die um, in your perspective, like what, what's the point? 
That's a, that's a big question that uh, yeah. may just be unanswerable. Uh, but I have, I've come to find for uh, myself an answer to that question. And, you know, I, I do want to preface this with the fact that um, I'm kind of your token evangelical pastor where, <laughs> you know, you might get what you expect from me. Um, but I do want to let people know that I'm, I'm not a typical evangelical pastor in the sense that I wasn't raised in the church. I was raised in a non-religious household. Um, my dad was a Vietnam vet. My mom was a hippie. Uh, there was a lot of drug addiction, alcoholism, um, mental illness in my family, a lot of, a lot of just chaos. And I, I found faith out of a, a need to find stability and grounding in that chaos. And so um, I think I, I approach religion a little differently than evangelical Christians that grew up in the church and just were kind of fed the right answers all along the way. Because when I put my faith into to Jesus as a teenager, I really had to wrestle with a lot of questions because my dad was a huge skeptic. You know, after coming back from Vietnam, where he left thinking that he was being a part of something great. And then while he was there, starting to realize, oh, there are competing agendas here. And I don't know if I believe in what I'm fighting for. It just broke down his whole idea of authority. And he became uh, skeptical of just about everything, especially religion. So when I became a Christian, he pulled me aside and said, Jay, you've been brainwashed. And I was, I was going to church on my own, reading my Bible on my own. I had no support from my family. They're actually uh, against what, what I believed, but I just found so much peace in it that, uh, that I continued forward. And we ended up uh, having great conversations and having a good understanding of one another, which was great. So anyway, I just wanted to, to put that out there. I think the church that I lead now um, welcomes a lot of people with a lot of different uh, viewpoints and uh, beliefs, but they all feel welcome and comfortable to uh, really search for, for God and search for the meaning of life and the purpose of life. And so what I have found uh, is that truly the, the purpose of life is to discover God and discover just how good and how loving he is. And the more you are able to experience God's goodness and his love, the more you're called into his purpose of loving others and helping others discover how good he is. Because there's really nothing more loving than you can do for someone than to bring them to a place where they can find spiritual peace and grounding and purpose and mission. And in my perspective, truth. And so I have given my life to helping people. Um, so Joe, I was your youth pastor because uh, mm -hmm. I was a teenager when I became a Christian and it radically changed my life. It changed the whole trajectory of my life. I had just been arrested. I was hanging out with the wrong people. I was very angry. Things were going south. Uh, and then I put my faith into Jesus and it was just a 180 complete different. I had new friends, good friends. I had new mentors giving me new purpose, new direction, new support. And it was so good. And so I thought, 
well, I want to help people at that age when they're really uh, solidifying their identity and, and figuring out what direction they're going to go with career and things like that. I want to help them find the goodness of God at that point. And that's why I dedicated my life to being a high school pastor for a little over a decade. And now as I lead a church in Orange County, uh, I'm doing the same uh, just with uh, guys like you that grew up a little bit and are still searching of, okay, what, what is the meaning of all of this? Yeah. And that's beautiful, man. You are a great youth pastor and you, you know, hold space for young people so well and you're so open and you radiate light. And it's really beautiful to see that you've, you know, connected so deeply with that purpose, with your purpose. Um, where did, where did that, why was it Jesus? Like, what was the thing about Jesus and Christianity that, that found you? Like, what was that journey like? And, and where did that come from? Well, the, the journey started uh, simply from my two best friends who they grew up in the church. They weren't necessarily good Christians. We were causing all st- sorts of mischief together and getting into all sorts of trouble together. But they did have a, a foundation of spirituality that they would later fall back on later in life. Um, but uh, anyway, they, they just got to talking and they're like, hey, we, we always go to church without Jay. We should invite him to church. And so they invited me to church. I'm like, nah, I'm good, thanks. And they said, well, there's, a, there's cute girls at church. And I said, okay, let's, let's go. And sure enough, at their <laughs> church, they had, a, yeah, they had a lot of cute girls. And so uh, I kept going with them and their parents would pick us up from church because we were under 16 at that point. And I would just rapid fire all these questions of, you know, what I just heard the the pastor talking about, I would just ask, ask, ask. And they actually had pretty good answers. They were able to um, steer me in in some good directions to continue thinking. And so uh, for about a year, I was just wrestling with all these different questions. And on a weekly basis, I had a place where I could discuss those questions and really lean into them. And then uh, it came time for summer camp a year later, and uh, my friend said, oh, you got to come to summer camp. And I said, how much? And they told me some stupid amount of money. And I was like, nope, not going to do that. <laughs> There's no way my parents are going to pay that amount of money for me to go to some church camp. And they said, there are really cute girls. And, <laughs> the girls. <laughs> and our, our parents will pay for you to go. So their parents ponied up and paid for me to go to camp. And I remember stepping off of the church bus and these three uh, gorgeous girls walked by and I was like, yes, I am so glad that I came here. And most of the week was spent flirting with girls, but at night they had a chapel service and, you know, we're sitting there and uh, the first couple nights I wasn't listening, but then uh, I continued to listen. And when the pastor started telling the story about Jesus, it turned out to be exactly what I needed because I grew up in a home where my parents, my authority figures, I couldn't trust them to protect me. I couldn't trust them to uh, act in my best interest. So I was kind of out on my own, uh, protecting myself and making decisions for myself. I had no guidance. There was no rules, no structure, anything like that. Um, And so when I heard about a God who 
cared so deeply about me and all of his children that when something came in between him and them, he was willing to do whatever it took to break down that barrier and reforge a connection. And I remember hearing about Jesus on the cross and learning that his death on the cross, which was a very historic event, learning that that historic event had this spiritual significance that uh, his death was a payment for my sin and a way that I could reconnect with God, with a, a holy God, no matter how messed up I was, I was acceptable to him. And uh, he was willing to do that for me. I just thought, oh my, if the God of the universe is willing to give his life on my behalf so that I can be okay, I need that so badly. I, I need somebody willing to stand in that gap. And so I, I remember thinking, I was on my bunk, it was 2 a.m. at night, and I was just thinking, all right, God, I, I obviously don't know how to live my life. The direction I'm going, I'm smart enough to look down the road and it, there's nothing good waiting for me. I said, I don't know how to do it. But I said, God, if, if you're willing to give your life for me, then I'm willing to give my life to you. And you take my life. You teach me how to live my life. I will follow you. And whatever you want from me, I'm in because I can trust you. And, and really, Jesus was the first authority figure, a divine authority figure that I could trust. And so um, just in total abandon in that moment, I just turned my life over to him. And um, I didn't think through all the things that were going to change in my life as a result, but things started rapidly changing. And I went back home and my parents noticed it very quickly. They're like, you're different. What's going on? You know, and they saw the peace that I had. And they started commenting about like my new friends and, and how positive I was becoming. And I was at war with my parents at home. And all of a sudden that war started to settle a bit. It wasn't perfect, but it started to settle a bit. And I just found that the longer I followed Jesus and allowed him to teach me how to live my life, uh, he continued to come through for me. Every promise that he made in the Bible, uh, he, he made good on him. And so he hasn't let me down yet. And so now as I'm going into a, a point of life where it's really scary, uh, I've got to lean on those promises more than ever. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, that takes me to the second question I like to ask everybody, which you've kind of just explained, you know, what's your definition of God? But I kind of wanted to, because I'm in the same way, you know, I grew up in the church. I've, you know, been skeptical and had questions myself. Um, and I've done my own like path of deep seeking and finding my own truth through my own experience and my own connection to God. And, um, you know, just like thinking about other religions, other faiths, other, other divine um, beings that have lived on this earth. Um, is Jesus like the only way? Is that like, is that, I know in Christianity, um, like Jesus is the one true God. Is there like space for other people's experiences to God, to that connection of divinity? Um, 
And what, how do you kind of navigate that? Yeah, that's a big question. And that is one that as um, a little, a little speck on this earth that takes up a very short amount of time in the history of the world. Uh, I don't, I don't have that answer in me. I don't have the authority to make that answer. But what I can do is I can point to what Jesus would say about that. Mm-hmm. And what Jesus said is, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other way to God but through me. And so he would say, yeah, he's, he's the, only, the only way. Now, how that works itself out, I don't know. Um, C.S. Lewis, who was a, an author of the Chronicle of Narnia and other books, he's a, a professor um, of philosophy and, and a, just a wonderful thinker all around and a, a Christian thinker as well. He said something about this that makes a lot of sense to me. It's not necessarily something that I, I teach um, from the stage at, at my church, but in a, in a conversation like this, uh, I'm willing to, to share a little bit because I, it really does resonate with me. Uh, C.S. Lewis looks at Jesus's claim that he is the only way to God. And, and then he looks at all these different world religions and understanding different people's experiences with God and, uh, and the divine. And he reasons that um, he doesn't know how it all works out. But in the end, it will be Jesus who does the saving. It will be Jesus that uh, creates the connection back to God. Doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be uh, a professed Christian and, and you have to come to the conclusion that Jesus is the only way. C.S. Lewis Moore says, no, the fact of the matter is Jesus is the only way. But even if you don't believe that, uh, in the end, it will be Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross that allows you uh, to exist with the divine goodness for all of eternity. Uh, and so I guess when I consider that, I think, yeah, I think it's very possible that somebody could subscribe to a different religious system. Uh, but uh, their desire is to be united with God or united with the divine, whatever that may look like. And I believe that in the end, when this all sorts itself out, the, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross will be what enables all people to connect with God. Um, so I think it has a lot less to do with um, our action and it has everything to do with the action of God through Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I've been really getting into the Jesus teachings lately and I really connect with him and what he was teaching, which is this, you know, connecting to love, like you talked about earlier in the in the episode. What do you say to people that subscribe to the belief that Jesus was a way shower. He came here to show us that what we are all capable of embodying, which is, you know, this Christ consciousness, fully embodying love and connection to, and and the divinity and to fully realize the divinity within ourselves. And he was kind of showing what we're all capable of. And we all have that ability to connect with the, and realize who we are on like a deeper level. 
Is, you know what I'm saying? There's... Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with that. He he did come to show us the way, and and he came to show us really God's character. Um, so the scriptures say that Jesus is the act, uh, the exact image of the invisible. So there's this divine being that through creation we can we can look through you know science and nature and we can see hints of God's character, who he is, what he's able to do. Um, but it's not until Jesus that we have the exact image of the invisible and we get to see just how God loves and we get to see how he treats people and how he looks at people. And it was very surprising because uh, he showed a, a completely different way. And those that rejected him most weren't the irreligious. It was the uh, religious leaders of the day because it was so different than what they were expecting. And he kept bringing in the irreligious and it was the outsiders that he welcomed in. And there was this religious structure that was trying to keep those outsiders out and keep a place of prominence for the insiders. And Jesus said, no, that's, that's not how this goes. Uh, I've come for the lost. And so I think you're, you're right in the fact that he, he shows that uh, we're created in God's image, but he also shows us what God's image is. And so he shows us uh, in a mirror of, okay, if this, is, if this is who God is and we're created in his image, then we can live lives like Christ lived. And the way that Jesus lived was so different than the way that the religious leaders lived of that time. And I think oftentimes it's so different than um, good churchgoers live today, you know, but instead he, Jesus was very, very concerned with giving power away and being humble instead of powering up, but instead being a servant and serving people, giving away power, bringing in the outsider, speaking up for the vulnerable, um, and I think another thing that he showed us when we see his example is that we can't do it on our own. Although we are created in the image of, of the divine, we all just fall short. You know, I, I think about my marriage. I'm, I'm married to, and you know, Natalie, uh, I'm, I'm married to like one of the most incredible women ever created. And I still struggle to love her well. <laughs> There's yeah. just, I just fall short over and over. And I think by looking at Jesus's life, I get to see like, oh, that's, that's the type of love I'm supposed to, supposed to have. Mm-hmm. Man, why, why do I fall short? And yet there's this inclusiveness where he shows me my potential, but also shows me that I'm accepted even when I'm not reaching my potential. Mm. And he shows me that it's by his spirit that I'm empowered to grow spiritually and to look more and more like him. Uh, throughout time. And it has a lot more to do with his action in me than my, you know, how tough I'm being on myself. Um, But he's there helping me reach that potential. And um, yeah, it just takes a lot of the stress off of, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And then it takes away the pride of, oh, I did this and I did this. Because I realized, no, it's his spirit working in me, transforming me to reach that potential that he's showing me. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. That's a good, great way to put it. Um, 
you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, the way, the way some churchgoers go, like don't really follow that fully. Um, what would like, what would Jesus be like? And what would he say? What would his teachings be like if he was here today? Right. Like what if he showed up and like, what would he have to say about, you know, the people that do follow him, these, you know, all these churches that, you know, worship him. But I don't think they, because the way you just explained it to me was very beautiful. And that's what I've learned the more I've dove into the Jesus teaching and who he is as a man and, and his divine spark and the Holy Spirit working through him. And I really feel like I can feel that divinity working through me at times with my connection to God. Um, but I feel like a lot of people who might have these beliefs don't actually have that experience of it, right? Or that connection. Um, and it's, it's really, really, you know, they attach to the belief rather than attaching to what the experience is supposed to be like. Um, what do you have to say to that? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's really my life's work now. Uh, yeah. as, a, as a pastor, I'm, I'm trying to teach my congregation what Jesus's words meant originally when he said them and what they would mean for us today in a very different culture and context. What would Jesus say to us today? And I think um, it would be very similar to what was happening in the first century church. When the church first started, um, the pastors of that church, specifically Peter and Paul, uh, they had to keep getting through people's minds that were raised in this uh, Jewish, strict uh, religious system. They had to keep keep working with them to say, look, it's not about the rules. It's not about the rules. You've created rules upon rules. You've created rules to make sure you don't break the actual rule. Um, and it's not about the rules. It's about being connected to the spirit. So just like what you said a few moments ago, Joe, it's, it's about being connected. And so if, if, if I can teach my congregation to connect with the Holy Spirit that Jesus has gifted them and given them as a, as a deposit uh, for what's coming and also uh, as a guide for right now. If instead of trying to make up all these rules and uh, who's in and who's out, if instead we just connect with the Spirit through prayer, through reading Jesus's words and really meditating on who he was, um, the Spirit will guide us in how to react to big cultural movements, things that are going on politically, socially, things that are going on in our families and in our household, uh, anxieties that are stirring in our gut. Um, the Holy Spirit can guide us through those things. And if we would just focus on being connected to the spiritual and not on this list of rules or this religious system that says, oh yeah, you have to go to church every Sunday and you should give 10% of your money and you're good if you do that. Um, yes, it's good uh, to gather together. And the scriptures tell us, don't give up gathering together because something uh, supernatural happens with our connection with God, because I can connect individually with God, but when I come together with other people, there's this collective connection to God where I'm able to uh, see different perspectives than I would be able to if it was just me. 
giving 10% of our, our money to God's purposes. That's good, but what it's doing is it's, it's training my heart to be a generous person. And you know, if I'm training my heart to be generous, then it's not about a percentage or a certain dollar amount. It's about seeing the needs around me and meeting those needs and being sensitive when I see a need around me to say, all right, Lord, help me know how I can contribute to solving this and then responding to that. So I guess that's a long way to, to answer your question of, of saying, I think Jesus would, would just say exactly what he said to us before. Remain in me. Be connected to the vine. Because if you get disconnected from the vine, you're going to wither and your spiritual life is going to die. So remain connected to me. Yeah, it's so difficult in our society and our culture because it's such a materialistic reality that we are told and taught at such a young age is, is what reality actually is and what success is and achieving things and accumulating stuff and wealth, but it's all transient, right? And, the, and what the Bible teaches and what Jesus teaches is that you can't take, a, take it with you. And the real connecting with the spiritual side of who you are and what this reality is. And um, I heard a quote, I forget where I heard it from, but it really kind of changed my whole perspective on it, where, you know, changing the idea that we're not humans who have spiritual experiences, but rather we are spirits who are having human experiences. And when I heard that, it totally changed everything because we are these spiritual beings that are in these human vessels having this experience in this physical reality. But reality, I mean, even science is proving this, like we're made up of trillions of different cells, right? And we're just all this different matter put into this thing that we're conscious of. And it's very fascinating. So talk about um, the idea of like spirituality versus religion, like in your perspective, because there's so many different religious beliefs trying to make sense of this experience of divinity and of the spiritual world and spiritual realm. Um, so what's, what's the difference between those two kind of worlds to you? Yeah, I think you framed it up really well to say that there's this, um, natural disconnect that comes between the physical and the spiritual because the, the physical is tied to time and it's temporal. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, it has a beginning in the end and an end, but the spiritual is eternal and it has existed for eternity before and continues for eternity after. And so it feels because we're in this uh, temporal state, it feels like this is what is real. But in a certain sense, you could say that the spiritual is even more real because it continues on. It's eternal. And this is just for a time. But this is a very unique time where uh, we're able to... um, to make decisions and to um, decide what uh, what type of of soul we want and what type of person we want to be, because I believe the personhood continues on. Uh, it's our, our personhood that continues, even though our body does not. And so the choices that we make now has a very real effect on um, on our eternity. So it's very important uh, this time. 
And I believe God is being very gracious to us during this time to help guide us to him. And I think God really, uh, really, really values choice because he values love. And without choice, there's no love. And so there's got to be a, a choice to accept or deny. And so during this time, we're given the opportunity to make our choice. If, if we want to be a part of the divine, if we want to be connected to the creator, to uh, the ultimate uh, of all, or if we would rather be on our own. And so this is a very, very important time, but there is that disconnect between time and eternal. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like we were, when we're born, we're almost like we have to forget that we are a piece of this divinity and this divine experience so that we have an opportunity to have an experience to remember the connection. And I mean, it's almost like for me, I feel like that's going back to my first question. The whole purpose of this experience is to be born into this physical plane, this experience and have the opportunity to go through a journey and an experience to realize that we are connected to this, this spiritual, this spiritual realm, this divinity, this, this God, and to find that connection. And I think, you know, the, the, the more I try to trust that and surrender into that and connect with that experience, like things flow and things come to me and things happen in such a beautiful way. Um, that's perfect segue into the the last question of, and I know um, you have, you know, with the, with the, uh, the awareness and the heightened awareness of death that, I mean, you've, you've been faced with, with, with your, um, your brain cancer. Um, what does happen when we die? I feel like a lot of religions actually are trying to, and a lot of people's beliefs and faiths are trying to make sense of this one question, like what happens when we die? And I think in our culture and our society, it's such a taboo thing to talk about um, death, right? And I don't think a lot of people think about death enough because if you don't ever really think about it and it's never at the forefront of your mind, you don't really have an opportunity to, to live fully. And I know, um, you know, with your situation, I just would love to hear your perspective on it and, and what you believe happens when you die. Yeah, having a terminal illness definitely brings you face to face with that question and you, you can't avoid it. You've got to really lean into it. And you're right. Uh, we don't like that question. It's uncomfortable to think about it. And with the pandemic that we find ourselves in now, uh, a lot of people are having to, um, to ask these big questions and they don't like it. It's uncomfortable. And we look for other things to take our mind off of it but it's terrible right now because uh, we can't watch sports. There's no sports on TV to watch. Uh, we can't uh, we can't go out and go go shopping and go you know get some retail therapy. We can't do all these things. We can't go to the movies and just you know get our mind off it. Instead, we're stuck at home with our thoughts, and it's very uncomfortable to think about death. Um, I was fortunate in the fact that uh, as I came to faith, I began as a teenager to think about these things, to think about death and the afterlife so that by the time I received my terminal diagnosis, 
um, I had already settled on these things. And so I didn't have a crisis of faith, but instead I had to reevaluate and just go, do I really believe this? And for me, the, the very fortunate thing is I found that, yes, uh, what I have been building as the foundation of my faith and what my faith tradition says about the afterlife, I, I truly believe it. And it brings me great, great comfort. So let me go back and, and say, um, with my faith and this terminal illness, I have an understanding that um, science works. And the science behind the medicine says I only have a certain amount of years left here. And percentage-wise, the science works out. The vast uh, majority of people in my situation, the prognosis that will be delivered to them will actually be their experience. They'll pass away in that time frame. However, there's this small percentage that outlives their prognosis by years and years, some living a, a, a full lifetime. And I also have trust that if that's God's will, that he's the sustainer of life and he can do that for me. I don't know if that is. I, I know for sure I don't get special treatment. Um, just as, as a pastor, that didn't save me from getting cancer. And as a pastor, that doesn't necessarily give me a, a ticket. I'm not in better standing so that uh, I deserve a miracle. I have no idea what God's plan is for my life. But what I do know is no matter what it is, it's good and I'll be okay. And my family will be okay. That's the harder part is thinking about leaving. What about my family? So first, let me talk about me and then let me talk about my family. So I believe that when I, when I die, uh, I'll be reunited with God. That uh, not on my own merit, not because I did anything to deserve that, not because I'm good enough, uh, but simply because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross I've been cleansed of the sin that would separate me from God. And I will be cleansed from the dysfunction that I carry. And I will be uh, in a state of who I truly am and my full potential. Um, I can't wait to meet my mom. So my mom went through very traumatic trauma early in life through the foster care system. And that led to her self-medicating, getting on a lot of drugs, uh, mental illness ensued, and she ended up taking her life. And the experience that I had of my mom here on earth, I saw glimpses of who she was, but I can't wait to see her in eternity as she truly is without, without the dysfunction, without the, the trauma, without without all of the the sin, but just truly who she is and all the goodness of who she is. I can't wait to get to know her uh, again. Mm. And I believe I'm going to be different as well. I believe that I see a lot of the, the good parts of me now, but there are things that uh, that have been hampered and things that have been held back that I'm still healing from, from my own childhood. 
and I will be set free from that and be at my full potential. And what, what an amazing way to live for eternity without shame, without shortcoming, but just being who I truly am. And uh, I believe that I'll do that in complete connection with God, where I'll be able to see him for who he really is. Because as the scriptures tell us, now we, we see with like a veil over our eyes. We can't really see. The closest we get is seeing Jesus, who was the exact image of the invisible. But soon the invisible will be made visible. And I'll get a chance to spend eternity getting to know God. And like I said, the purpose of this life is uh, discovering the goodness and love of God. I believe that the afterlife will be the same thing, just so much fuller, where I'll spend eternity just getting to know just how good God really is and just how loving God really is. And I'll be able to see it with crystal clarity and truly understand it and live in eternity in a place where there will be no more disease, there'll be no more sorrow or sadness or darkness, but just a place of life and light and peace and goodness. And that's the state that I'll live in. And so when I look at my terminal diagnosis, my future is good. Whether God decides to extend my life here, which I pray for and I hope for, or if he takes me early, my end is good. But then I worry about my family who I'm leaving. And I really had to wrestle with God on that of why? Why would you do that? And what's going to happen? What's going to happen to my family? Now, I know my wife loves me dearly. And she, if I pass away early, she will be so devastated and sad and will have to go through grief. And at the same time, She's educated, she's brilliant, she's beautiful, um, she's independent. She's, she's going to be okay. She'll, she'll be able to recover and heal and still live a good life. Um, my daughter, I worry, what's that going to be like not having me in her life? And who knows, maybe my wife will remarry and she'll have another fantastic father figure Or maybe not. Maybe she'll have to find father figures in other ways. Maybe there's things that I can be doing now to really influence her and have the the best impact as a father now, which is what I'm trying to do. Um, But I really had to wrestle with God. And one, one day, and this will be discussed at length in the documentary that's being made. One day I went up to Mammoth Mountain and I went snowboarding. And at the end of the day, I just, I sat down and I, I looked up at the, at the mountain and I was sitting there praying and I just said, God, I don't know about this. I said, will you, will you take care of them? And, and not just God, not just in a, in a general sense of you take care of all of the earth, but will you give them special treatment? Will you be close to them if I'm not here? And um, all of a sudden, I believe it was the Holy Spirit started to bring to mind 
people that God had brought into my life in the last couple years that I've been dealing with this that have taken care of my family. Uh, one person came to mind. He's a, he's a doctor. And my daughter has complex febrile seizures. So she has um, grand mal seizures. And it's very scary to watch. Um, and he lost his wife to brain cancer. And he has come to us and said, hey, I want to be your, your like personal on-call doctor for your daughter. So anytime she has any issues, instead of us having to go to the emergency room or urgent care, he comes to us. And wow. I have watched him soothe my wife's anxiety so much because we have all these medical questions about my daughter and we can just pick up the phone and call him. And he, he walks us through it. And I just thought, wow, God brought him into our life in this time. Um, and then I thought about this other family who, when I needed to get my first brain surgery, insurance wasn't going to pay for it. And it was a million plus surgery that, wow. you know, you hear about people going bankrupt because of their uh, medical issues. I would have been one of those people, but this family stepped up and said, you know, why else would God give us this extra money than for something like this? And they were willing to pay for my surgery. Wow. Um, yeah. And then through, through that, uh, and through a lot of prayer, um, some pretty miraculous things happened and the insurance company ended up paying for the surgery and they didn't have to, but they've come to me and just said, Jay, just know that we're here for your family. And as I started recounting all of these people that have recently come into our lives, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me on that mountain, of course, Jay, look at all the people that I've brought around your family to take care of them. If you're not here, I'm not going to stop doing that for your wife and your daughter. And that gave me so much peace. And so now I have peace of my final uh, destination and I have peace for my family. Man, that's beautiful. It's just such a reminder all the time to just trust, right? Trust the, the greater plan, the bigger plan, and, and know that even in these tougher circumstances that we are taken care of and there is a bigger purpose to it all that we just can't even comprehend. Yeah, and I'll never comprehend all of that purpose, but what I can comprehend is the goodness of God. And that's truly what I trust in. Because sometimes, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And people think like, oh, you know, everything will make sense on the other side. And I don't know if that's true or not. Some of yeah, this right. just seems <laughs> crazy. And, uh, you know, what purpose is this working for? You know, why did my mom take her life? Why did my dad suddenly pass away from a heart attack? Why was I born into the family that I was born? I don't know. Will that ever work out? I don't know. But what I do know is that God is good through it all. And I can trust that. I can trust that goodness. Even when things are cra totally crazy, chaotic, and they don't make sense, I can trust that God's good. Beautiful, man. And I can really feel that. And your connection is a beautiful thing. And I appreciate you sharing. I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm going to kind of segue this into the last question. Um, what do you want your last words to be or your last lessons um, to leave the world? Like, what do you want them, what do you want to be remembered for? 
That's that's a huge question. Mm. And I think that that's something that I'm still wrestling with. And and I think that if I can leave the world with a vision of someone who was steadfast in his faith and trusted God all the way to the end and God's goodness shined through me the entire way, that'll be enough. If, if people can see that God is good to me and they can see God is good through me, then that's, that's a life worth living. Beautiful, man. Thanks for coming on, man. And thanks for sharing your story. Um, definitely would love to do uh, some kind of follow-up after your, your race to see how it went. Um, I know I could talk to you for, for hours, but I want to be respectful of your time. And I just want to say I love you, man. And, and I really appreciate you showing up. You're such an inspiration to me and I know to a lot of people. And I know that this documentary that you're really working to put out there is really going to have a huge impact on a lot of people's lives. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, well, thank you for having me, man. It's such a such an honor and I love you dearly. So yeah, let's keep talking. Thanks for listening to another episode of Quantum Coffee. I hope you enjoyed. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Reach out to me on Instagram at joe.holly or email me at joe.holly.newsletter at gmail.com. That'll all be listed in the show notes. If you have anyone that you'd like to hear on my podcast, reach out, send them my way. Also, if you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. Thanks again for all the continued support. So much love and gratitude. Peace.